is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the Cobham Crew. That is right, Phil and I are here bringing you all the updates of what is going on at La Cobham, just as you wanted. Phil, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, thank you. It's been very busy. The, the amount of stuff we've been talking about. Uh, on whatsapp and various other just it seems every day there's something else coming up so it's a good time to to jump back in and 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 share the news and share our thoughts with with everybody out there yeah there's definitely been no shortage i keep asking you about different things and whatnot and so it's like you know we could make this a podcast so here we are usually we only do one time a month but again there's just so much i I had to pull phil back on for a double cobham duty this month um so uh let's just kick it off right away get into it uh chelseafc.com putting out a press release uh saying that there is new roles and responsibilities for some of the academy staff phil what is going on Neil Bath still there? Neil Bath is still there with a broader and more comprehensive remit. He's now the Director of Football Operations and Development, which is a very all-encompassing title looking at the... um, the pathways and the development structure at Chelsea as, as a whole. Uh, that means he's now based in the first team building, not the academy building, which is uh, one of the bigger changes day to day. His academy responsibilities have now been fully assumed by Jim Fraser, who was f- formerly and, and formerly the assistant um, head of youth development, and he was in charge of recruitment for the academy. He remains so, but he's now the head of youth development. And Jack Francis has been promoted from head of player care to academy manager responsible for the under nines to under 16s, the schoolboy program, um, and looking after the players there. So it, we, we spoke a little bit more about this in our end of December update, which has gone out on, on our feeds again as a refresher when this news was broke, uh, confirmed by Chelsea earlier this week. But it's it's the latest in a, a number of steps that the club have taken to organise their footballing hierarchy under, I keep saying the new ownership, but it's not really new. We're coming up for a year of it now. So under this ownership, obviously we've got the footballing side, the, the men's first team now with Vivelle and Stewart. Win Stanley and Joe Shields and Shields will work very closely with the academy in terms of their recruitment as he did previously at Manchester City and briefly at Southampton in between um, but yeah it's, it's it's a really interesting time for what's going on and uh, we're, we're really only in the the very early days of trying to figure out how it's going to uh, manifest itself across Chelsea and, and impact the, the long term. Yeah, they really left Neil Bass uh, kind of responsibilities and purview open-ended as much as they could. Uh, they definitely aren't speaking to too many specifics, but they were um, very clear in saying that his role will go outside of just the academy, right at Cobham. They want him having uh, a connection to every kind of nook and cranny inside the club as well. So again, it's just uh, when you're that good for that long, like let him continue to, to grow and do his great work. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. So they, they've declared that uh, his primary oversight will be the under 21 program and the first loans in particular for a lot of those players. Um, But like you say, he's been at Chelsea for 30 years. He's been head of youth development for 15 of those and is among the most influential figures in youth development, certainly within the English game. I would go so far as saying the European and global game. And 
the, the biggest and most important thing he's been able to do in that time is to build a very, very successful team around him in the academy and to delegate effectively and to trust the network of people that have been hired to turn the Cobham operation into the global success that it has been. And now you're expanding that remit over to the first team side, to the broader footballing structure at Chelsea. That may or may not involve the, the girls' academy and the women's side eventually. We don't know. It's a very wide-ranging remit that we're only starting to learn little bits and pieces about and as we look at what started out in the academy as vision 2030 that has now sort of been been appropriated by others with chelsea's tra uh, january transfer activity for example um it's, it's very much a big picture thing and there's arguably nobody better placed at chelsea to to lead that yeah so so true um yeah anyways uh Super excited for him. Uh, definitely wanted to touch on that. The other thing is the end of the winter transfer window, which maybe kind of, you know, was a little bit flat. Um, I don't know. What What are your thoughts on, you know, Cassidy leaving, a lot of other people not? Um, it just, I don't know, I guess, you know, Zia should say the same thing, that, hey, the hierarchy were too focused on the Enzo deal. Matt Law would tell you, no, they've got a team of people working on a lot of different things. Uh, how did that shake out for you? It was a little bit surprising. I wouldn't say fully surprising. I would have expected more players to go out and it was only Cassidy who went to Reading in the end. And that was a move that was long overdue. We've spoken before about how at the peak of his game, uh, when he's really on form, he was dominating PL2 for the development squad. And it wasn't a game to game thing. It was there were peaks and troughs during matches. He could be sloppy at times and then just showcase his class. And moving on to senior football now is the right thing for him. He's gone to Reading, which isn't really the ideal situation to be in. I think they played him out of position on his debut um, and he hasn't had a tremendous look in since. But there's a lot of football to go this season and part of going on loan, as Eddie Newton was always keen to remind everybody, was about learning to deal with setbacks and failure and overcoming them rather than sort of Chelsea looking to recall you. They did recall a bunch of players in January, not for the want of trying to get them back out. So Jaden Wareham's back. He spent the first half of the season with Leighton Orient who enjoyed a much, much better League 2 campaign so far than a lot of people were expecting. And he did well in the opportunities he got, but was playing fourth choice to, to three really, really good forwards. So they brought him back in and there was talk he was going to go to Wimbledon. Then Wimbledon signed Ali Al-Hamadi and it didn't really work out. So he's back. Brian Fiabema's back as well. He spent a little while on loan at Rosenborg in early 2022 and then Forest Green Rovers, who had changed the manager. He wasn't getting as much playing time, so he's back. I was surprised that he didn't find another move because the development squad, as we're going to talk about, have got a lot of forwards now. Um, and he's as good as any and has played at this level before. So it's the rich get richer as Mark Robinson's concerned. But in terms of his individual development, it might not be the best thing for the short term. We spoke before, Lucas Bergstrom's back, Harvey Vale's back, Ethan Wadey's back. So we had more returnees to the club than we'd had going out in the development squad. Um, but the biggest exit is uh, the permanent departure of Jude Sunsat-Bell, who has joined Tottenham after a, a frustrating year. We've spoken again previously about the struggles after such a prolific and encouraging under-18 run. Previously, before that, he was a, 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 a regular goal scorer at schoolboy level. But it didn't really work out for him over the last year or so, and he was out of contract at the end of the season. So he's gone to Tottenham reportedly for a free transfer with a hefty 45% sell-on um, clause. Uh, and good luck to him, because he's still a young footballer with a very bright future. We wouldn't really like to see him do well for Spurs <laughs> to an extent, but yeah, good luck to him. Um, Chelsea moved very swiftly to not really replace him, but to sign Jimmy J. Morgan from Southampton. 
um, uh, an England under-17 international who's still eligible for the youth teams, but plays for Southampton's PL2 team and has been on their first team bench this season. Um, I wrote a little thread on him late last week when the signing was confirmed. Uh, very versatile, very capable forward, does a lot of really nice things. Unfortunately, he's not really going to be available for much of this season. He's due to have surgery on a knee issue that was flagged during a medical. So we can talk about him a little bit more in the future when mm. he actually takes to the pitch in blue. Again, he was with Chelsea from the age of eight through to 12, I think. Uh, ended up at Southampton for a little while and come home. Yeah, and I'm sure you got a lot of mentions about Sunsup Bell. I mean, if he would have gone to, let's say, Southampton or Everton, whatever, probably, but the fact he went to Tottenham, I think that kind of like rang a little bit, uh, rang the alarm bells for Chelsea fans saying, oh, did we lose a, a young, promising prospect to to Tottenham? Um, but to your point, I know Jude has been in and out, ups and downs. You know, I think, what was it? Was it pandemic or just before he was just banging in the goals? And it kind of felt like, not not you know necessarily all his fault but like other players that he was with were kind of moving on and advancing and for whatever reason he just kind of was always um hanging around Cobham yeah exactly that and when things start to go a little bit stale and not as you want a fresh start can be exactly what you need um like I say with the rivalry with Tottenham you wouldn't like to see it be there but we're in a, a, a month where Bethany England moved from Chelsea to Tottenham on the women's team and that was something that none of us really wanted to see either but you're happy for Beth you're happy for Jude you're happy for them on a personal level that they get to really showcase what they're about in a new environment um, of all the clubs just don't pick anybody in North London I know the other one so Jimmy Mo J Morgan arriving right and this is something I posed to you via the the text um, it seems like this is a new ownership group change. You and I have actually talked about this stuff for like probably a couple years on and off when it happens is does the, how much media does the club put behind you signings? And the way this, this signing for, for Jimmy came out, you know, I said the athletic put out an article, uh, Fabi Fabrizio Romano put out a tweet about this. It, then Chelsea put out the official, you know, kind of announcement as well and like the shirt holding up. But you don't always get this for Academy players. So I guess my question to you is, do you feel like, um, you know, it's just the new regime and they like to do a lot more content and kind of like make it a big deal anytime they can? Or is he like some superstar signing coming in that needs this kind of treatment? Well, he's a very talented young signing, but that in itself wouldn't have demanded the the coverage that it got. Cassidy got similar coverage across Chuck the Wameka. board. Uh, Chuck Wameka, Amari Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. um, they all got the, the quotes from Jim Fraser, from Neil Bath, from I think Chuck Wameka was Neil Bath. Um, it's, it's it may be sort of indicative of a change in practice in terms of how they're publicizing the academy and i know from various uh, fans forum discussions that there is a feeling um, inside the academy and from those who are attached to it that more could be done and more certainly could have been done in previous years to to market the academy better you go to a pl2 game at king's meadow and they're typically on monday nights or friday nights but there are some saturday lunch times and attendances are in the the mid hundreds it's a stadium that can take four and a half thousand and it's a stadium that can create quite an atmosphere as you'll see from any women's home game and a little goes a long way when it comes to the academy um to to put a little bit more um, effort into getting people to attend, into making them familiar with the club. The when the when they had a, a linear TV channel on Sky at Chelsea TV rather than just their online broadcast, they had a show called Inside the Academy, which was a half-hour magazine show where they would 
do little pieces on staff or current players, little interviews, little hits, little fun things, uh, go behind the scenes with the scouts and the recruitment. And, and that was really, it was like peeking back behind the curtain. And, and getting a look into the world of academy football and fine there's no reason they can't do that again through their own digital platforms now that's the way the media has gone you don't need linear tv to do that but it certainly disappeared towards the end of the previous ownership um, whether it was a directive whether it was a funding thing it's it could be any matter a number of um, factors but yeah to your point we're, we're starting to see a little bit more about this and certainly some of the other content that's going around all the different teams at the club it's a little bit more fun it's a bit light-hearted the the end zone number five uh, squad announcement the, the squad number announcement thing was was cheesy as hell but it was fun it was it was different and i think they're just exploring seeing what works and certainly looking to dip into the academy a bit more because to tell the story of Cobham is to tell the story of the current Chelsea team, the team that won the Champions League with several homegrown players in it. And to tell the story of Cobham tells the story of wider football in a minute. You've got Harry Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich on right now. Jamal Musiala's out there. He didn't play for Chelsea, but he's one of the best young players in the world. You've got Milan versus Tottenham going on at the same time. Fikayo Tomori's at Milan. Every, everywhere you look, there's a Cobham graduate playing at a high level and... You don't need to go all in and do a, a feature-length documentary series like Arsenal and Leeds have done in, in the last year, but I think you might start to see a little bit more around the club um, and, and seeing seeing what lands, really. Right, and I'm just laughing, thinking of your fiancé. is like, Phil, why do we still have a TiVo? And you're like, because I have all of these old episodes <laughs> when they were on oh, yes. Sky. <laughs> that that oh. was a problem for a long time, absolutely. Try to stick a memory card in there or something and rip them off. Uh, the fun times. Um, okay, well, hey, we're going to take a break. When we're back, we're going right into all of the Dev Squad updates. We have a lot. Um, so thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, Dev Squad time. Unbeaten since August ended, actually, uh, against West Ham. 2-3. to three. Uh, Bounce back with a 3-2 win at Blackburn, thanks to Amari Hutchinson. How's this team shaking out? You know, like I said, transfer window. You got some players coming and going. A lot of different things going on. Uh, we're talking about a title run with this team. Give me the good news. The good news is that they still look really good. They lost to West Ham, but it was one of the better performances of the season. It was a frantic, frenetic game. And unfortunately, they handed West Ham a 2-0 lead. And I mean handed them. They were really poorly defended goals. Um, Charlie Webster got them back into it with a, a belter from the edge of the box. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a moment. And then West Ham got another one right before halftime. And you think, oh, no, 2-1 down, it's more attainable. 3-1 down, you've got a lot more work to do. And they huffed and they puffed and they tried to blow the house down in that second half. They got another back from Mason Burstow and it just didn't happen. But there was a real buzz around the stadium that night to what I was talking about just before the break, about this atmosphere lifts the academy players if you can get Kings Meadow a little bit fuller than it is. Um, but yeah, so they lost to West Ham, which was a disappointing end to an unbeaten run. But all unbeaten runs do end. Uh, they came back from that off a fortnight break and they went up to Blackburn, which is never an easy trip, even if Blackburn aren't having the best season in PL2. They had a couple of senior players, players with first-team experience throughout the squad. Uh, it's a long trip up, and they came back with, with all three points. Hutchinson with a two-goal effort. Some places haven't given him credit for the stoppage time winner. They've put it down as an own goal, but I think that's really harsh. It was a shot that was on its way in. The, the defender tried to clear off the line and didn't. Uh, he got two. Uh, 
Dion Rankin got another, um, uh, and he's been in great form. He's got five goals this season. And it's it's a good response because Bashir Humphreys has gone out on loan. Cesare Cassidy has gone out on loan. Ben Elliott's currently injured. Uh, due to something else left. So a, a relative spine of the team, not to mention Eddie Beach and Teddy Sharman Lowe being out on loan. They've they've changed the goalkeepers. Lucas Bergstrom is back in goal again now. To go through a few changes in January and to come out the other side of it, still in with a really strong chance that the title is going to be between Manchester City and Chelsea. I think Manchester United are having a good run. Um, it's still going to be in their hands though because they've still got to play Manchester City. They do. They have played a game more than City, but there's still a lot of football left. And like we said last time, we were talking about a relegation battle this time last season. And now we're talking about not just a title challenge, but a title challenge with arguably the best squad in PL2 where anything other than winning the trophy might be viewed as a disappointment. I mean, little literal reversal like from season to season. Is this the game? It was on a Friday that I actually got to watch and we were texting a little bit. And that was like, the West Ham game, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, they're going to win it. And what stuck out to me wasn't when I was watching, I was like, oh, I was like, actually, yeah, like I could see it. Because I think it was the second goal that got him back in it. And I was like, ooh, Phil, there's time. Yeah, there was 20 minutes to go and they were all over them. And there was, I mean, the West Ham goalie had one of the games of his life. He played, Correct. He pulled off two absolute blinders, one of them. The ball looked like it may have been over the line. There was another one later in the game with yeah. Hutchinson and Rankin throwing themselves at it where the ball, to me, looked very much over the line. But we don't have VAR in PL2. Um, we don't have goal line technology in PL2. Um, and so, unfortunately, it didn't quite go their way that night. But like I say, they bounced back, got another win away from home and still looking pretty good. But what stood out to me was like, your confidence you didn't even bat an eye when you sent that message and like you believed it you weren't like oh i'm mr chelsea youth i have to say this you're like i've seen this before i've seen the way the team's playing like they're gonna go do it and like you said they very much should have at least drawn that game based on what i saw uh like on replays from the stream and things like that uh you know the refereeing is obviously a different caliber (laughs) at that level but um, that's what stood out to me is your like just a, like unshakable belief because like I've seen these kids do it before like this is classic Chelsea watched it obviously just came up a little short um, but you're talking about all these names you know and like the Dev Squad they're actually now way deeper um, than they were in the front half with all the people coming back from loans and different things I see a lot of photos of Gaga Slonina you know he loves posting photos. Do you know where he is at in the the mix of Cobham? Now that he's done with these January international responsibilities, I think him and Bergstrom will largely split the remainder of the PL2 games, depending on availability and whatnot, because he's not eligible for the Champions League and he is probably fourth choice behind Mendy Kepper and Bettinelli for the first team. Uh, And he needs to play and he's not going to go on loan unless he goes to MLS a March start which I think would probably be a waste of his time given what he's done at Chicago um, so if you're keeping him around the club for the rest of the English season then you need to give him minutes and the PL2 team is there and it is a stacked PL2 team we talked about Wareham and Fiebema and Vale all coming back and you've got Burstow and Mothersill as centre forward options anyway Mason so you've got f- five very very capable forwards very versatile forwards and I'm talking players who can play as a nine I'm not including Amari Hutchinson in there he can't play as a nine Vale can it's not the best use of him but you can play him as one of a two you can play him on his own and they've got all of this attacking firepower and only really lost Cassidy and Sunsat Bell Sunsat Bell didn't play very much this season so Cassidy and Humphreys have gone but you've got 
23-year-old Juan Castillo coming back from a long-term injury. He didn't go out on loan. He started to get a few minutes as a sub, as another option at left wing-back, which is very useful because Dylan Williams and Zach Sturge have been pressed into playing as a left-sided centre-half because Brooking's gone out. You've got Lewis Hall rejoining the group for the last couple of games. He's gone off with the first team to Dortmund, but you'd think with all of the money spent and all of the players that have come in and all of the players still to return from injury that Lewis's minutes will probably dip from what we saw through late December, early January. He did brilliantly. He deserves more opportunities when the right situation comes. But when Potter's fighting for every win and every point he can get, it can be hard to show that persistent faith in a youngster, even if they have proven themselves to be capable more often than not. So you've got all of these players coming back to the development squad and you may have Andre Santos join them. He's just had a starring role for Brazil in the 20s. Top scorer. MVP of the tournament. Looks like he should get a successful appeal for his work permit. And then it's the same story with him. If Chuck is not getting as many minutes in the first team, if Lewis Hall isn't getting minutes in midfield in the first team, then Andre Santos isn't necessarily going to. And then you start to look into assimilating him into the English culture, English footballing culture, and allowing him to settle in confidently for the next few months by playing in the development squad in a position that's lost Cassidy, that Ben Elliott is currently out injured. Charlie Webster got injured up at Blackburn, hopefully not too seriously. But it would be a little bit serendipitous if you've got a lot of holes to fill in central midfield and Santos comes off the back of a tournament ready to go. And there's 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 always been this debate about PL2 as to whether it's a valuable developmental league and it's it's in the eye of the beholder really you can have as strong or a weak as a team as you want and therefore have as strong or as weak a league as you want a lot of clubs uh, take the loan route they loan out the best pl2 players off to efl teams or teams around europe and end up with a bits and pieces team or a really young team and chelsea have really been towards the really young team end of that chelsea's really young players are typically as good or better than most it's quite interesting to see maybe Chelsea leading in a different direction now with an expensively assembled in some areas PL2 team because Andre Santos didn't come cheap Cassidy didn't come cheap there's a lot of homegrown players in there but they've gone out and they've bought Sturge and they've bought Williams and they've bought Burstow and they've put them into a really strong in-house development team and said right we're gonna try to uplift the quality of this league indirectly because we want to be dominant at this level we think that our own development practices are better for these players now than sending them out on loan. They'll go on loan in the right situation at the right time. And with the best will in the world, it'll be a successful loan, but we know the chances of that are 50-50 at best sometimes. That's why Wareham and Fiabema and Bergstrom and Vale have all come back in because their loans didn't quite go to plan. But if it has this galvanising effect to other teams, then you might end up with a much stronger PL2. And that's really interesting to me, at least. I tell you what, I even talked to Matt Law about Andre Santos. He's he's saying that his club contacts really feel like they won a big one by getting him to sign. And again, you know, they're trying to get his visa sorted. Joe Tweeds and Ollie Glanville, friends of the pod, um, just are rate him so highly, you know. But this is where Phil's common sense comes in, right? Uh, Thirty, I think it was like thirty-three games in in the B division of of Brazil last season. 
obviously standout tournament. And if you think about it, he needed points for his visa. I think he was one short. Um, he was literally playing for the opportunity to go to Chelsea in that tournament, and he stood on his head uh, very, very good. You know, but that's the point. He's 18, right? You know, he mm-hmm. needs time to develop. He needs to adjust to the country. Uh, he needs to adjust to the league and just some things like that. And look, maybe it doesn't take him long, but, it, you know, putting him in that environment at Cobham is a great starting place knowing that he can go up as fast as you need versus over-indexing him and putting him up. You know, I, I made that point with Matt too, Phil, and I kind of felt like I was uh, defending the flag on your behalf because, you know, Chuck Omeka is up there who, you know, has far more PL2 and just England experience. Uh, and he's not getting a lot of minutes. Uh, you've got, you know, other players, even like Slonina, who's coming in, who was a full pro that's in the dev squad. Uh, you've got players, and I think the big one that I really, you know, Cassidy, obviously, but was Omari Hutchinson. He has lit up the PL2, and he's still, like, kind of in that gray area, but it's not a bad place for him. You know, Santos needs to come in and take the back half of the season to just bet in, and then we'll see what happens. I'm sure he'll be around the preseason uh, with the first team in in the summer, but like there's a high benchmark in the academy and in the dev squad um, that like I just think there needs to be some respect. Yeah, for sure. I think the the point about saying that we trust our coaches to develop players better than coaches at EFL clubs, for example, isn't disrespectful to those clubs. It's just that Cobham has been successful for a reason. They have such a high standard of coach that comes through there. The entrusting some of the the development of some of the best youngsters in world football in the first instance is great. Yes, you do need to play serious senior minutes at some point, but that's a different point for everybody. And I'm not going to compare directly because it's everyone's circumstances are different, but Arsenal signed Gabriel Martinelli from a lower league Brazilian team and they put him into their under 21, under 23 at the time, PL2 team. And he, yes, he had injuries and stuff, but he was allowed to sort of settle in and find himself in a completely different culture. A teenager moving from South America to England is not like a teenager moving from South America to Portugal or anywhere in Central Europe, to be perfectly honest. Or and randomly Ukraine with Shakhtar Donetsk, who... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if, if you move into an environment that is culturally similar, whether that's Portugal from Brazil, for example, for obvious reasons, or Ukraine where you have an enclave of compatriots or, or a culture built in at the club that you've got five or six players that you you can, for example, live with and socialise with. It's different if you come into London as as Andre Santos will. And Chelsea are typically quite good at the player care uh, side of things, academy side and first team side. But if you, it took Martinelli sort of four seasons to come to the point where he is now as an impactful player for Arsenal's first team. And it doesn't matter if it takes Santos four years to become an outstanding player for Chelsea's first team. He'll still be 22. Yeah, honestly. And everybody wants the shiny thing right now. And he's off the back of a tournament where he's, he's basically said, look, this is I'm going to a work permit appeal. Here's the evidence. Yeah. I've just gone and been the best player in a top three continental age group competition. Thank you very much. Honestly. Uh, and, and then you get just pulling on the Chelsea shirt, going out and playing in an environment that matters, but also doesn't matter quite as much. You're not going to just send him into the first team right now. If, if, he, if, if, they, if he deserves to, that's a different matter. If he comes into the PL2 team, for example, and plays lights out for two games, gets the first team opportunity and starts to boss the show at 18, brilliant. 
We're all happy. <laughs> we are the odds, of, <laughs> the odds of that happening are, are fairly slim with respect to everybody. Um, and so we'll take our time with him. We'll, we'll see what happens. And I'd love to see him play in PL2. Yeah. Because it's right up close in front of me. You can get a feel for the player. Different to watching cards. No, nobody's watching Brazilian Serie B regularly with respect to them among Chelsea fans. I'm sure that there are because there are a lot of Chelsea fans in Brazil. And then as the name gets linked with us, people will start to check him out. And I know our friend Sam, CFC Central, has done a deep, deep dive into just about every player ever linked with the club. So there are people out there. But seeing him up close with your own eyes in a Chelsea environment will be even more enlightening. So it's quite exciting. And if they can add that sort of quality to this group... Then yeah, the PL two title is a must. Yeah, I just need you to get that um, Monday match away at Man United uh, just brought back, so I can attend it and see Andre uh, in person with with everybody else. Uh, but see what I can do. Classic. Uh, the academy schedule never works out where we get to see a game. But uh, we're gonna pause there. Uh, we're gonna take our last and final break. So thank you to the sponsors, and we're back. All about the U 18s I'm going to sneak Jody Morris into this and a look ahead at what games are coming. Thank you to the sponsors. We'll be right back. All right. So before we do the U18s, I think we mentioned this, but maybe skipped over it a little bit. But official Charlie Webster and Deion Rankin, new contracts. Yeah, absolutely. And and really exciting because it's been the talk through most of the season. The season started, we, we knew that Charlie and Harvey Vale and Jude were all going into their last year of the deal. Dion as well, but he wasn't getting quite put on quite the same level as the others. Harvey signed a new deal back in September. And then the longer you get into the season, there's a lot of talk as to, oh yeah, PSV are interested in Charlie and Dortmund are interested in Charlie. And we've been here before and we've seen how it ends. The player is exiled from first team training and if they're not willing to negotiate, they get punished. This was a different footballing management. And so the news comes through that they're both agreeing to deals. And then it's confirmed uh, it's really exciting. Charlie's is only for a year. Dion's is for two. But I say only for a year. It gives everybody a little more breathing space and you get to see how things shake out. There's been a lot of hot takes from a lot of people over the last month or two trying to draw definitive conclusions from a situation at Chelsea that is still pretty fluid and pretty uncertain. We've not been through anything like this as a fan, a collective fan base in Two decades, a change of ownership, a tremendously long injury list, and the busiest winter transfer window anybody's ever had. And yeah, fine, the results on the pitch of the first team need to be a lot bit a lot better. But we're not treating this like Abramovich's Chelsea. This is Clear Lake and Todd Bowley's Chelsea. And that feeds back into expectations of whether players are going to sign new contracts or not. And we started this episode by talking about Neil Bath's new responsibilities and whether he has direct oversight of negotiations with Webster and Rankin and everybody else or not, you now have as big a visible an advocate of academy players as there has ever been in that first team building. Yes, Frank Lampard was over there. Yes, Jody Morris was over there. Yes, Joe Edwards was over there. Steve Holland, various predecessors who've been on the first team staff. They have a voice, but how influential that voice is depends on who the manager is, who the sporting director is, and Marina Granovskaya. Now you've got Neil in a really influential role and you've got in Win Stanley and Shields in particular, two people who've worked their way through English development, recruitment, English youth system. They know the quality that comes through. 
you've got a, a series of advocates over there, which makes it easier to convince players to commit their futures to the club in a way that we haven't had for a long, long time. I'd go back to probably Michael Amanalo's era, and it wasn't a certainty at that point either. So really exciting for both of those players to be rewarded for excellent season so far to commit their futures for a little while longer and collectively take the next steps. I think both of them will be on loan next season in an ideal world because PL2 will probably hold no more challenges for them this season. Uh, and, and, and we'll go from there. But the bigger picture is in getting these players to commit to contracts is the, the takeaway here, I think. All right. Well, appreciate the context on those. Because, uh, yeah, a lot of people be like, ooh, one year, and what do we do? But, you know, very fluid. And that's probably all the player was willing to commit to for now. So you just kind of take it, kick the can down the road, and kind of hit reset and see how it goes. But he had a very good – he had a very positive post on Instagram about signing the contract. So you can tell he wants to be here. He just said, hey, let's buy ourselves some time and then we'll regroup, you know, probably at the end of the season this summer when probably the picture is a little bit clear. So uh, good for Charlie. How about the 18s, huh? So we know they've been on a good run. Uh, they're, you know, not going to win the league unless something absolutely wild happens. So we're like, They're Great. trying their best to make that happen. We'll get to that in a minute. Yes. But <laughs> we're like, hey, Youth Cup trophy, let's go. Cambridge, huh? Yeah, this was an upset. The level of upset depends on your view of Cambridge and I'm on record saying they've got one of the most underrated academy systems in the country and that's not just because Chelsea have repeatedly taken players from them uh Dion Rankin was a former Cambridge academy player who came under 14 Marcel Lewis who is now at Burnley uh, spent a few years at Chelsea he came through Louis Flower who we'll talk about shortly came through at Cambridge there's another goalkeeper in the under 15s they took from Cambridge last year they got really good relationships between the two clubs and Chelsea send under 15 teams up for friendlies at the first team ground end of season uh, back end of the last decade. Uh, so you know that Cambridge have got some good players. They've got an England youth international in Kai Yearn who played in this game. They've got a really, really interesting attacking midfielder called Glenn McConnell. Uh, both of those are out on loan in men's football and came back to play in this game. So they're a good academy, but at the same time, they're not a Chelsea level or a Chelsea calibre academy. So to lose in such circumstances was was very frustrating. Chelsea don't lose early in the Youth Cup. They've been knocked out in the third and the fifth round in the last decade, but that was to Manchester United and to Everton. Otherwise, they reach the semi-finals or the final or they win it. The last time they lost to, I'll, I'll call them a lower league for the FA Cup equivalent, a lower league team was Colchester sort of 20 years ago. And... It's yeah, it's very disappointing. They just it was one of those games. It was delayed for a week because Cambridge's stadium suffered some structural damage, and then uh, sort of forty eight hours notice, it was moved back another day. I don't think that's really a factor in all of this. They just didn't turn up for the fight, and that can happen in youth football. It can happen to anybody in senior football as well. It was. I would liken it to an FA Cup tie in a way because that's when the giant killing comes out and that's why you see lower league teams upset Premier League teams from time to time because it will come down to a battle of wills and hard work beat talent. If talent doesn't work hard, Cambridge are a talented team and they also outworked Chelsea that night. Uh, so it's very, very disappointing. They they have bounced back well since and, and they've bounced back without Ed Brand who is no longer the under-18 head coach. He will be joining Jody Morris at Swindon Town. Jody got the Sw uh, Swindon job about a fortnight ago, and there's some paperwork hold up in getting Ed to be officially confirmed as his assistant. Um, 
But yeah, that Cambridge game was was Ed's last. Uh, it should go on record that he's had a very, very successful time within the academy, working at every age group. And he was assistant for the under-21s for a while as well. He's won youth cups. He's won youth cups as a lead and as an assistant. And he's played his part in the development of so many young players, including every graduate who's in the first team right now. So that role needs to be recognised, even if the youth team's fortunes in terms of silverware haven't been as as high as in the last couple of years as they were before his leadership um and, and so they played tottenham two days after that cambridge game that they that was led by the assistants andy ross and jimmy smith but from moving forward chelsea will probably confirm this the job's going to likely go to hassan Suleiman who is the under-16 lead at the minute. He's been a coach in the academy for a decade, really highly thought of, really, really capable, really talented guy. And his leadership at the under-18s moving forward is going to be quite exciting. Right. And so, yeah, very interesting. Also slightly annoying that you brought up Jody Morris before I did after teasing it. But, you know, it was relevant, so I I give it to you. Um, So, yeah, shock out of the cup exit. To, you know, come back to draw versus Tottenham, which is always good. The bar is really don't lose to Tottenham, you know, for the most part with the other North London rivals. Um, but then the big one, you know, kind of what we were joking about a little bit earlier of no one is going to win, you know, this conference except West Ham because of the crazy lead they've built. And then out of nowhere, Chelsea beating West Ham three to one. You said it's the first time someone has beaten West Ham at their place since last April. An extremely long run. Um, How is this table shaking out? Are West Ham hitting a wobble? Did we just go out and play 10 out of 10? What was going on? A little bit of both. Um, West Ham have hit a little bit of a wobble, which was to be expected because they won 12 straight to start the season in the league. Then last weekend... Before the Chelsea game, they lost at Southampton and then they lost to Chelsea. So they've lost two in a row. Uh, They aren't as strong in those two games as they have been at their peak. They've got an FA Youth Cup run going on as well. Uh, They were strong enough, though. For example, Chelsea weren't at their strongest in winning at West Ham. They didn't have Brody Hughes. They didn't have Leo Castledine and so on and so forth. Uh, but Chelsea were fantastic in that match. This West Ham came to Cobham in late November and Chelsea broadcast that match live so a lot of people got to see it. Chelsea were 2-0 up after 15 minutes or so and then West Ham roared back with four second-half goals and uh, we talked about the Cambridge game where Chelsea up for the fight in that one. West, West Ham had a lot of physical players and they can beat you in various ways. Uh, this was a 3-1 win for Chelsea this past weekend and they were up for the fight. They grafted, they worked their socks off and then they can play their talent. Donnell McNeely scored twice. He's been in terrific form. Goals and assists, unbelievable, unselfish hold-up play and work rate. And when you get Louis Flower alongside him, who does the same, having those two leading the way up forward and then Tudor Mandelodou's individual trickery and creativity to, to feed off them. When they're all in their game, it can make life really hard. Donnell scored two, Tudor scored one. Donnell got the assist for Tudor. Louis got the assist for Donnell's first one. And from front to back, the two centre-halves, uh, Harrison Murray-Campbell and Caden Wilson, were, were tremendous. And Harrison had built up a really good partnership with Travis Okomea, who's now injured. Um, who He got injured in the Youth Cup against Bradford, and it was quite a serious one. Hopefully not too serious, but he's not going to be playing for a while. So Caden, who missed the first half of the season, has come in alongside him and has taken a little while to find the top form after a few months out. He was 
he was outstanding here. He's just imperious at the back. He's tall, he's long, he's lean. He can step out from the back, he can cover, he can make up ground. And that was really encouraging to see. But just uh, you can look throughout the team everywhere. Tudor's highlights from the game have been shared by other accounts and they'll go viral because he's that sort of player. But you could do a cut up for anybody from that match and it was really good. Whether we catch West Ham or not, I'm probably being a little bit facetious. Hopeful. The gap is down to 13 points. West Ham have 36 points from 14 games. Chelsea have 23 from 13. So Chelsea have a game in hand to reduce that to 10. Is it going to happen? No. But maybe. All right. There it is. A little bit of hope leaves the door open. Uh, you know, hey, maybe they get far in the youth cup. You know, they start to get distracted. You just, you just never know, right? So, but yeah, it's, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Crystal Palace because they've got the same record as Chelsea and they've got a goal difference advantage plus one. So, I mean, they're still theoretically in the mix as well. They still have to come to Cobham, which is where Chelsea have the advantage. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of football to be played. This is a a 26 game, sorry, a 22 game season. Chelsea play 13, so they're only a little over halfway. Mm. Uh, there'll be a fixture pile up towards the back end of it as there usually is because the fixture list is typically backloaded anyway and then you have the winter weather effect with schedule and the youth cup and rearrangements and you end up playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday late in the season and then when teams don't have so much to play for they'll start to move on to some younger boys and you can benefit from that sometimes if you're still in the title push and not in the youth cup so we'll never say never but there's a lot, lot, a lot of work to do if they're going to pull off one of the most unlikeliest turnarounds in, in youth football history. Yeah and we've talked about the fixture pile up for sure so um, it's definitely a uh, a thing that will be coming for the academy. Um, I, I, so the reason I teased Jody Morse's name before is obviously he's at Swindon Town. Um, he is. They're in League Two, according to Foot Mob. Um, there's a couple friendly faces there now uh, with us. It's really just a, a guess on your part. Do you feel like they are going to come fishing in the academy or around Chelsea for players? Do you feel like they're a good loan destination? And obviously not this season because the window's over, but you know, looking into next season because they're mid table, they're not going to go up uh, this season. Um, kind of thoughts on that very obvious and strong Chelsea connection in the developmental side of the EFL. I think, yes, they definitely will become a, uh, a potential loan destination. Um, Jody and Ed are on the coaching staff and have been entrusted with the development of Chelsea's own players in-house. So as an extension of that, we saw Chelsea send Fick and Mason to Derby under Frank and Jody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's friendly relationships all around, but this is a particularly friendly one. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily going to be in League 2 next season. They are only three points out of a playoff place. Oh, gosh. And You're just exposing they, me for my lack of knowledge on the lower they still levels. Are, they, there's 60, 16 games to go. There's a 46-game season in the Football League. It's an eternity. Does, do Real quick question. Do all the EFL, EFL leagues do the first two qualify and then the rest have a playoff? Uh, championship and League One do. League Two has three up and then four, five, six, and seven of the playoffs. So four moves? So, so, yeah, from League Two to League One. Wow. And then it's three from League One to the Championship and three from the Championship to the Premier League. Okay. It's it's a little bit curious. And only two um, go down also, in League Two. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was one for a long time as well because there was this theoretical, well, the Football League 92 are much stronger than the, the so-called non-league, but the National League, the teams that come up from the National League are very competitive within League 2 straight away these days and there's been ongoing 
um, arguments to make it three up, three down there as well. Six, but I digress. Six new teams every year in this uh, in this league is wild definitely. out of twenty four though. So, anyways, yeah. uh, a little bit of education. Yeah, I, I definitely there. expect. <laughs> I'd expect Swindon to be a very favourable lo- location for appropriate Chelsea players. They do have a couple of Chelsea connections there. Marcel Lavinia was already there and scored a couple of banking goals just before Jody arrived. He's won back to back goal of the month competitions, and then. Uh, George McEachern signed permanently for them. Saw that this past week. Carlo, is, that's a, Carlos McEachern to you. <laughs> it was it was just the best thing because George hasn't picked up a club since he left Chelsea in the summer, and that's really disappointing to see. Because whatever you think of him, whether you think he's undersized or or whatever, this is a, a player who was central to England winning the Under Seventeen World Cup with. A gener- with Phil Foden, Jaden Sancho, Callum Hudson Odoi, and this was a general Mark Gurhi. This was uh, Gahey. I keep calling him Gurhi. He's Gahey. Um, this was a generational team that he was the fulcrum of. He can play. He played a lot of academy football at Chelsea. Didn't have a couple of uh, the best time with a couple of loans in the Netherlands, but those were both um, COVID impacted, which I'm not going to hold any blame against anybody who struggles in that time. George has been out for seven months. He's had trials. I think he had a trial at Swindon last summer under previous management and didn't settle. He went in at Forest Green, I think, and then went up to Shamrock Rovers recently in Ireland. And he even came back in to train with Chelsea for a little while uh, because the door is always open to those who depart Cobham if you need a little place to... To, to train, to keep your fitness, to integrate back with the group. Scott Sinclair was back in at the start of this season. He's not been around Chelsea for well over a decade, but he was a free agent, um, was a former teammate of James Simmons, who's the under-21 assistant coach now. And so they invited him back in. The door is always open. It's one of the best parts of the player care program. And they're developing an academy alumni program, which will be strengthening those ties even stronger. But George was in and it can be really, really depressing for a lot of players who get out the system and if you're out the system for a long time and don't get back in it's really hard to get a footing and so yes very serendipitous that Jody and Ed have have gone in at Swindon and George played some of the best football of his nascent career under those two and in a position of need it's all come together so really really happy for him on a personal level and I hope he goes in there and smashes it and I really hope Swindon do well because I want to see Jody do well I want to see Ed do well and I want them to be uh, a a possible destination for the next generation of academy players to go on loan to. Yeah, no, most definitely. And just to clarify, yes, I know Josh McEachern was Carlo's uh, favorite player. I'm just assuming the Mc, the the whole family is just really close with Mr. Ancelotti, which would be wild. Uh, as we look ahead, though, at the weekend, uh, there are some games that are going to be going on. Eight teams are taking on Arsenal at Cobham, so you love a little run London rivalry. Arsenal have been perennial powerhouse at the academy levels, um, so you Usually this is one of those ones where like, you know how some people will say like Mason and even you think back to like when uh, Chalaba shoved Aguero, like they just know about certain games. This is where it starts. The 18s know that no matter where they are on the table, you take on Arsenal and Arsenal know the same. And I expect it to be pretty cagey. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, it will be. Arsenal have been, it's a really weird season for them. Statistically in the table, they've won three of 12 and they're in ninth place. They haven't had a good season, but a lot of their players have played under 21 football. They're still in the youth cup and their strongest youth cup team has been quite good. They play Cambridge next. So we'll find out whether Cambridge, because Cambridge are in the quarterfinals now every step they take makes it a little less of an upset that they beat Chelsea but they've got good players they've had 
one of their players who's still 15 years old play for the first team this season. It's a little bit of trying to keep him at the club and convince him to sign a sort of scholarship and not sign for Chelsea, for example. Uh, but they've got good players. Jack Wilshire's finding his way as their coach. He's still pretty young himself. And regardless of whether Chelsea have had a good season and Arsenal haven't, when it's Chelsea versus Arsenal, a lot of the form goes out the window and the individual talent and the the want to win comes back to the fore. Chelsea won at Arsenal on the opening day of the season in really hot, really sweltering conditions in one of the hottest British summers of, of, on record. It was a cagey game, as you said. It was settled early by a goalkeeping mistake from, from Arsenal. And we'll see how the two teams have developed since because some players will be involved again, some won't, some have moved on. Uh, it's always a really, really interesting match and one of the ones that I look out for on the calendar each when the fixtures come out every every July as sort of this banner match. It's Chelsea versus Arsenal. It's always going to be a headline game in academy football. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, this is like, you know, where that DNA is really, you know, kind of emboldened in in these teams. So uh, then you got the dev squad taking on Liverpool away on Sunday. So um, again, their hunt for the title, their hunt for dominance. Liverpool, though, a little bit different. It is, and it's not an easy place to go. Chelsea have had a mixed record up there, and, and Liverpool have had a decent season themselves, but they've lost four of the last five in PL2, and they're going through a real injury crisis at the minute. Um, so we'll be far from full strength, and that's an opportunity for Chelsea to, to assert themselves, to go up there with all of the talent we've discussed throughout this episode and continue their, their title challenge. They've played a game more than Manchester City, and they're two points adrift. Um, they need to keep putting the pressure on. Uh, and to stay as close as they can to force the mistakes so that when they eventually do play City up at their place, it's a match they can go into, keep it in their own hands, win it, and, and push on from there. Awesome. Well, thank you for this uh, brief 30-minute update uh, as we push past 50 minutes now. <laughs> uh, but again, there's so much going on. I'm so excited you know, for the dev squad and all these faces. Like you said, I mean, there's a good chance you know, with, with some of the people coming back. Santos coming in, Gaga coming in, like the poor coaching staff and how they're going to balance all these players and all these minutes, but the poor opposition for having to take on the electric uh, team that these, that we're going to be putting out. I love it. I'm excited. It's a rich man's problem to have. And and Graham Potter faces similar when everybody's fit again at Chelsea. And you'd rather have a rich man's problem than not having enough talent. Let's leave it at that. Most definitely. Well, as always, Phil, thank you so much for sharing your expertise in the Cobham crew. Uh, We'll be back, obviously, with more content. Uh, let's see, we'll be back with uh, the Dortmund match review on Thursday, and then Famous CFC is back on Friday as usual. So anyways, that is it from Phil and I. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Hold up. 